Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Moss. Uh, it, On the Money is brought to you by Embassy National Bank. I'm the president there, and I will moderate the show today. And uh, as you know, we're trying to build topics for you that will allow you to run your small business much better. And uh, today we have a, a repeat guest, uh, a gentleman by the name of Philip Saxton, who started and is president of uh, a company called Small Business Samaritans. And um, he helps people not only start businesses, but also run them a whole lot better while, while they're, uh, after they've gotten started. So um, Phil's back with us today. Hey, Phil. Hi. Good to be here. Um, what have you been up to? Well, you know, it's really interesting that you asked that question because we're getting ready to start in 2015 the Small Business Samaritans Shark Tank. And that's where we will work with identified small businesses to get them ready for investors, bank loans, and to be sold if they're interested in selling their businesses. Well, and we'd certainly like to help with that because, as you know, Embassy National Bank is all about helping small business. We've got an active SBA program, and um, we'll be very honored to help you with that program. Well, we're excited about that. Good, good. Um, Philip, you do a lot of work with uh, with small business, um, but I guess the last time we talked, I was I, at first I got very impressed with your background. So, can you talk about your background over the years? Well, I've spent uh, I've had three stints in corporate America, and I've run three small businesses. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was with the uh, IBM Corporation, Unisys Corporation, and Digital Equipment Corporation. Uh, I've done a lot in the area of sales training. As a matter of fact, I'm very proud of the fact that we actually produce uh, the best salespeople in the country. At least that's back then, that's what we were doing. Uh, it took us 13 months to train a salesperson. Uh, and the, the investment that the corporation made uh, in its people was absolutely uh, astounding. Your training process was 13 months long. Yes. So would would the employee have a chance to do any selling during that process, or was he kept away from the sales side until that was done? Well, he was kept away from having his own territory until it was done. Uh, he, they would uh, come to our training facility, uh, receive some formal training and practice, uh, then go back to the branch office where we – uh, actually scripted what they were to accomplish in the branch office during that period of time. Once they completed those tasks, then they could come back for the next training program. Okay. Now, so, what years were you with IBM? Oh, this was, uh, let's see, I started, I he I hesitate to, to tell you no, how many I, years ago it was. <laughs> no, I like, uh, I like talking about years. It makes me feel better. <laughs> But uh, most of my IBM career was in the 70s and 80s. And those were in the days of the big mainframes, as I recall. Big mainframes, um, you know. And Big Blue was Big Blue back then, too, weren't they? Absolutely. They had a great reputation for quality and and uh, focus on the objective, and the, their, their salespeople were all top drawer. All top drawer. Uh, you know, we produced really some really outstanding hardware, but the challenge was, what do customers do with it? 
you know, and how do you identify the customer's needs, mm -hmm. come up with a solution to those needs that will help re, uh, give the customer a good return on investment. And um, who was the CEO back then? Um, John Akers. And uh, there have been a lot, there's some been some books written about Big Blue and their successes back in those days. Yeah, I knew quite a few of them. Um, you know, Thomas J. Watson Sr., yep. of course, started uh, IBM, and he was uh, followed by um, Thomas J. Watson Jr. Mm -hmm. and it was Jr. that really got us into the, the big iron mm -hmm. uh, kind of business. And, you know, the, the people that ran major corporations then uh, not only at IBM, at IBM, but also other companies like uh, Kodak and and uh, Ford and GE. Uh, they they were some outstanding individuals, and and they weren't uh, they weren't in the business just for greed purposes. It wasn't it wasn't just about the shareholder. It was also about customers and employees and making sure that the customers got a good return on investment, number one, and number two, making sure that the, that the employees were also well taken care of. That's a, that last part of it is a, somewhat of a foreign concept these days, isn't it? It really is because, uh, you know, we've gotten to a point where employees are usually the last, to, you know, the, the last consideration, and many companies do not treat their employees anywhere nearly as good as uh, companies did in the past. Okay. Um, we'll talk about a little bit why you think that is later on. But first, yeah. I want to we, – we zeroed in on a couple of topics because of your background. Um, I wanted to uh, – th there are really two areas um, today that I want to zero in on relative to making a successful business. And one is mm -hmm. leadership. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other is uh, managing the point of sale. Yes. Where the, where the customer actually says yes or no. Yes. And how important that one little slice in time is and mm -hmm. how, how you get them to say yes or no. But let's talk about leadership. Um, and put you on the spot a little bit. How would you define leadership? Uh, I would define leadership as having a vision having a vision that you're passionate about, uh, that you care about, uh, that you, 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 you really want to devote a great deal of your waking life uh, in achieving, and then communicating that vision to your staff uh, and to your customers at all levels. Um, so that the, you brought up that word, uh, well, you brought up um, your vision. So let's talk about, and you brought up communication. Let's talk about vision for a minute. So um, what what sells the most, passion or vision? Well, I think you've got to have a clear, clearly articulated vision. And I think you've got to be passionate in the way you communicate that vision to others. Okay. And then um, are you a, uh, we talked a little bit about types of leadership before the show, I've, I've studied a lot about leadership. And uh, a lot of people think leadership is the old military style, where uh, someone sits at his desk and barks orders and expects people to be uh, obey his every command, hear, hear his or her every command. Is that, an effect, is that what leadership is all about? 
No, lead, leadership is, is, is really about uh, paying attention to the way your employees are motivated and then finding a way to encourage them to do what you want them to do in the accomplishment of your vision. Uh, and that means that you really have got to spend some time getting to know your people. And so uh, an effective leader is one that's going to uh, really impart that, really going to understand how to impart that to his direct reports, but also expecting his direct reports to be able to do the same thing to their direct reports. Uh, the problem in many instances in terms of leadership is that it doesn't get down to the level where people are actually doing the work. Uh, you've got to have good leaders at every level in order to have an organization that performs effectively. And another misconception I have seen is the concept that uh, leadership, leaders, leaders don't necessarily work. They just tell other people what to do. No, uh, uh, a leader is a servant. A leader has to work harder than anybody else in the organization. Uh, there's nothing that you should ask someone else to do that you yourself are not willing to do. Uh, so a, a, a leader is someone that works very, very hard and is very passionate uh, about what it is that they're accomplishing, they're trying to accomplish. And if you, if you go back through and... and um Look at let's say some. Let me throw out a couple of names, and tell me whether you think they're effective leaders or have been. Like General Schwarzkopf, was he an effective leader? I think he was an effective leader. Uh, many people have a misunderstanding of generals. In gen, the the really great generals are are the ones who are able to again articulate a mission, articulate a vision, and talk a, a lot about why we're doing what it is that we're doing. When people see that they truly believe in what it is that they are doing, then they'll take up the mantle uh, in the same way that they see their leader does. Uh, it's not just sitting back and barking orders. Uh, you know, we talk a lot. For, uh, another example is that we talk a lot about vision and mission statements. And some business leaders think, well, okay, I'll come up with a good mission statement. I'll come up with a good vision, and I'll put it on a plaque on the wall, and I've got that done. No, putting it on a plaque on the wall is meaningless. It's being able to articulate that in many, many different ways every time you get with your employees and every time you get with your customers so that they uh, really internalize what it is that you're doing. And you've got to live it, too, don't you? You've got to absolutely live it. Uh, People you, are good at, fi at finding hypocrisy, aren't they? It's so easy to detect. Um, and you've seen the movie uh, We Were Soldiers once? I don't remember that movie, quite frankly. I know it's one of your favorites. Well, it, it's um, uh, Mel Gibson was the star of the oh, show. Yeah. Yeah. And it was from a true book called mm -hmm. We Were Soldiers Once and Young yeah. about the battle over a, a piece of ground in uh, Vietnam. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but what it really impressed me was that uh, uh, the, the platoon leader, he was the first one out of the helicopter, and he was to start fighting, and he was the last one off the battlefield. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, that's certainly uh, a whole lot different than what what how some people think of a leader. But uh, those guys, obviously, they died for him. Um, and I just I found that movie so uh, for yeah for a lot of different reasons, but certainly that one I found that uh, that message to be very very strong. I heard it, you know. Well, I think people really want to dedicate their lives to something important. Uh, and that's what you want to do. You want to articulate what's important to them. Uh, you're asking them to spend eight, ten hours a day uh, working for you, working in your organization to accomplish your mission. And, and every employee needs to feel that what they are doing in that organization is extremely important. Right from not only at the top, but all the way down at the bottom, you know, the janitor has got to understand what the mission is, right? Uh, and, and he performs his job uh, with the same level of enthusiasm as your vice president of sales. Um, can leaders be trained or is it, a, uh, is it something that's just you're born with? No, leadership can be, leaders can be trained. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think people are born leaders. I think they learn how to be, to be leaders. Uh, I don't think it's in anyone's DNA. But, but there are certain people I, I would think that uh, are more prone to be leaders or else we'd have a lot more out there than we do. Well, you know, years ago uh, we did a, a, a survey, a study, on what, what are the characteristics of good salespeople and good leaders, uh, and could we identify those characteristics so that we would know who to hire? Um, for example, if you are a 3.5 or 4.0 student, uh, does that mean that you're going to be a good leader? The answer is no. No. Uh, if you major in engineering versus music, does that mean you're going to be a good leader? The answer is no. Um, uh, does it depend upon, uh, you know, just how religious you are or what religion you represent? The answer is also no. The only correlation that we found between success in sales and success in leadership is how active you were, uh, in, uh, as a, as a child, uh, were you involved in, uh, the student council and boy scouts and girl scouts, uh, community activities, were you involved in church? Those people who had more experience uh, being involved in their communities and in their neighborhoods subsequently will, will make better leaders because they've had a great deal of experience in interacting with others. You're listening to On the Money. This is Joe Moss. It's brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And we're having a, a good conversation here with Mr. Philip Saxton, who runs Small Business Samaritans. Uh, we were on the topic of leadership as one of the uh, important component of a successful small business. Philip, is, is leadership the number one success factor? Uh, it is it is a very important success, uh, success factor. It's probably more more important than the product or service that you 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 that you have. Uh, and I think one of the one of the the problems that we have in in today's marketplace is that uh, we depend upon uh, digital selling a lot. 
the internet and social media and all of these kinds of really wonderful tools. Uh, but the amount of person-to-person -person interaction uh, is less. And, and therefore, it, that presents a real problem because people need to be led by people and not by machines or, or, or a piece of software. Um, so I, I want to talk, um, we, why don't we just go ahead and move into the point of sale. Uh, we, we wanted to uh, mention parts of that. So um, talk about what, what do you, how do you define the point of sale? The, the, the real point of, of a sales process uh, is to provide information to people so that they can make a decision. You know, sales is a service. It's like servicing an automobile or it's like waitressing or uh, cooking or any other kinds of, of, of activities. It is a service. Sales is a service. And the point of the service is to provide people with all of the information that they need so that they themselves can make a decision. That decision may be, yes, I will buy your product. It may be, no, I will not buy your product. But your point of it is to get them to that point where they can make a good, informed decision. So people a lot of times think of, of sales as... Um Boy, I got to kind of conjole you into buying this product. From your perspective, I'm sure you've seen a lot of good salesmen or salespeople. Um, what is it? What are the attributes of a really good salesperson? Some of the best people you've seen. What What do they do? Well, number one, they've got to have uh, good communication skills, uh, and that that means they really need to understand the elements of a conversation. And we've spent a lot of time teaching people what the elements of a conversation are so that they can manage the conversation and get the information that they need uh, so that they can move the sales process along further. So that's, that's number one. Number two is that you really got to understand your customer's needs. Uh, you know, if you don't understand those needs, then you, you're not able to explain to the customer the benefits of how your solution is going to help satisfy that need. Uh, okay, so contrary possibly to some other um, ideas that might be out there, sounds like listening is a very, very uh, uh, important component of the sales process. Absolutely. Not only should you listen, but you should also take notes. Uh, you know, some people are afraid to take notes, or you, sometimes you may have to say, may I take notes? But once you have a sales conversation, you take notes, and then when you leave that conversation, you should go back to your car and write down everything that you learned. Because there could be some very, very important information given to you that will make the difference as to whether or not you'll be able to ultimately provide the solution that the customer is looking for. Um, so sales is, is uh, one, it's listening to what the customer's needs are, and it's, two, explaining how your product can accommodate that. Yes. Um, and then uh, at, at that point is um, 
providing an environment, I guess, where the customer can then make a decision. That's right. That's, that's sort of the, the, the steps that you go through. The, the, uh, of, the, of the ones that you mentioned, the amount of time that you spend listening to the customer, understanding the customer's needs, is critical. So you want to spend most of your time doing that. And very often, uh, you, it may take several visits. Mm-hmm. You may have to talk to several people within an organization before you can get a complete understanding of what that business needs are. Um, how do you, I, I guess, when you're selling, do you have to ad- identify and understand the characteristics or personality of the individual that you're selling to? Absolutely, because people are all different. They come from different parts of the country, different genders, different interests. Uh, they grew up in different ways. They express themselves differently. And so you've got to be, be fairly sophisticated in being able to communicate with people from, you know, at, at all levels, from all parts, now all parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So you have to be more of a worldly person. Uh, well, in... In my world, in the banking world, um, our product that we sell is money, mm-hmm. and we're either going to give it to you or you're going to give it to us, mm-hmm. and the it all kind of focuses around our price, which is our interest rates. Mm-hmm. And I have I have different uh, there are different styles out there. Um, what would you say for the customer? And I've got my own opinion about this, but when a customer calls me and wants to borrow money, and the first thing out of their mouth is, "What's your rate?" Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? Well, and you don't know anything, and you just had that. He just called you and said, "Hey, I'm looking around for a loan. What's your rate?" I I think really uh, what the way you hear a lot of people respond to that is that they say, "Well, don't tell them the rate. Don't don't give them that information because uh, you know it, it really depends on a lot of other factors." And that is true. But if a customer asks you point blank, what are your rates? The best way to answer that question very, very early in the sales process is to, get, is to answer it. Tell them what your rates are. But then go on quickly to say, now, that could be different mm-hmm. depending upon all of these other mitigating factors. You know, what I really would like to do is to spend some time with you to really understand what you need the money for. What are your plans? And we might be able to come up with a solution that you've never thought about before. Mm-hmm. You know, give me some time to, to understand what your, your customer's needs are. Uh, I think it can be very, very frustrating to a customer when they ask you a point-blank question not to answer it. You mm-hmm. immediately turn them off. And they aren't going to listen to anything else that you say. And, um, quite frankly, not everybody's going to end up being our customer. Well, that's true. Yeah. And they may not like the fact that, they, hey, you give them an answer, but, hey, I want to help you and try to get this thing done. They may want to just say, well, look, I just wanted to rate, and uh, I've already shopped this thing three times to Sunday, and I'm just going to go with the lowest rate. And that's their prerogative. It is. Uh, a lot of times we'll find um, we'll find people that make that decision and they come back to us because they realize that uh, the other folks couldn't deliver uh, mm-hmm. and they got a confidence level that we could. Mm-hmm. Um, well, another another situation um, 
see another another situation that we come across a lot is um, uh, this whole idea of um, vision within the company. Mm-hmm. Um, does everybody need to know the vision? Everybody needs to know the vision. To what to what extent? They need to be able to articulate your vision to any stranger, any relative, anyone that they talk uh, talk with. Everyone in the organization, from the person at the top all the way down to the lowest person in the organization, needs to be able to articulate that vision. And do you spend more or less time on different levels of the organization? You spend as much time as is necessary for at, to accomplish that. At any level of the organization. At any level of the organization. Um, when, when, uh, when I was leading the IBM sales training effort, we convinced top management to meet with every salesperson that we hired. And that was a major commitment because it meant that they had to fly from Armagh to the education center sometimes two, three times a week. That's a major commitment. But we wanted every salesperson then to be able to say to their clients, which very often were other CEOs and presidents of divisions, that they knew personally our leadership. And they understood personally what our leadership cared about mm-hmm. and could articulate what, the, what our leaders told them to the CEOs and presidents of other organizations. Vitally important. That is not, that's one of, the, one of the areas of leadership that's not taking place so well today. Very often, leaders have good visions. They have uh, good mission statements, but that is not articulated all the way down to the lowest levels. In, in an organization, how do, you, uh, how do you determine whether you're being effective? By repeating it over and over again. I learned that from my father. My father used to tell me something, and he would t- if he told me once, he told me a dozen times. And I, and I used to say, Dad, you already told me that. You know, yeah, Dad, I know. Yeah, Dad. I know. But it wasn't until later that I understood why he was doing it. He was trying to get me to et- internalize what he believed. Um, as, a, as a company, as a CEO, a leader of a company, how do you know whether you're being effective as, as the leader of that company. How do you know the employees are getting the message? When you start hearing it back from others, from, then, then, you've done, then you've done an outstanding job. Or when you start hearing it back from people that are not even in the company, uh, then you know that uh, you're doing a good job. Or when people start quoting you, uh, who are, are are not necessarily a part of your company, mm-hmm. then you know you've done a good job. And how do you know if you've got this, uh, I guess Maxwell calls it a uh, blind spot. Mm-hmm. He he said that one of the big faults of uh, whether I agree or disagree with him, I, I'm not sure, but he said that George W. had a big blind spot. Mm-hmm. So how, as a leader, how do you know if you have a blind spot and what do you do to go about making sure that a blind spot that you have is identified for you. Well, you know, uh, the, the way you avoid that, the, the source of blind spots is listening to a very small number of people. 
who are telling you what's going on in the organization. Uh, so in order to avoid that, you've got to get out uh, in the organization yourself. You've got to go to those offices and go to those branches and talk to people yourself to see what their concerns are. Uh, I can remember uh, one of our major, uh, the CEO of, of Digital Equipment Corporation visited one of our offices in Indiana. And the uh, person uh, at the front desk would not let him in because uh, he didn't have a badge. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't until someone could arrive that it could, who could identify who the CEO was that he was allowed, even allowed in the office. And but you've got to be able to – uh, some people call it managing by walking around. Yeah, MBWA. Yep. Yeah. And that's an effective tool, isn't it? It's a very effective tool because if you do that, you, you will find that there won't be any blind spots because people are going to talk to you about their concerns. Mm -hmm. and, and you may not even be aware of, of the concerns that they, that they have. Right. Uh, if you're selling products, for example, and one of those products uh, has an engineering flaw and you keep getting those products back, the CEO doesn't know that those products are, are coming back, but the guy who takes those products in, those returns in the mailroom knows. And his boss may be thinking, well, I'm not going to tell the CEO because I'm going to get in trouble over this. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, this is On the Money brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we are talking to Philip Sexton today. Uh, CEO and founder of Small Business Samaritans. We're talking about uh, a couple of very important parts of running a small business. First is leadership, and then the other part of it is the point of sale. I want to go back to uh, the, the the point of sale and uh, different different strategies. Um, what about selling to a uh, negotiator? Uh, how do you identify when when you're uh, when you're getting to know your customer a little bit, how do you identify whether they're a negotiator, whether they're uh, um, an easy sale? How do you identify what's going to strike their button? Well, everybody fancies, fancies themselves as being a negotiator. Uh, if you say the price is $10,000, they're going to try to get you to sell it to them for 9950 mm -hmm. I mean, that's just... Everybody, that's just a natural human response. Uh, but the important thing is to not concentrate so much on the price, but concentrate on what that product or service is doing for you. What is the return on investment? Uh, if I tell you, uh, and, and I had, and this is a real situation, if I tell you that I can save you $43 million per year and that the return on investment and that the payback is six months, on what it is that you're spending, okay? Uh, it, it really doesn't matter much how much you charge, mm -hmm. okay? That is, if, if you can prove that you can do that, if you can demonstrate that you can do that, uh, the decision is always going to be yes. Well, in a, um, in a commodity world, and um, let's face it, most everything's already been invented, um, so a lot of times we're selling the same thing. Um, how do you, how do you get through that, uh, in terms of, uh, managing the price expectation, but also communicating the savings? Um, 
theoretically, they're going to get the same savings irrespective of who they buy from. So how do you manage that whole dynamic? Well, I love situations like that. I love it when the, the products are the same, the price is basically the same. I love that because I know then that I make the difference. Mm-hmm. And how do, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, what are the ways that a company can show the customer that they'll make a difference? By, by dedicating yourself to that customer's situation. You know, uh, you're not there just performing a function, a sales function. You're there to be a part of that customer's team. And when that customer feels that you're a part of their team, that you're there to help them be successful, they more than likely will buy from you. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, been uh, uh, very, very blessed to having good customer relationships to the point where if, if what I was saying to them came within a half million dollars of the value, in, in other words, I could be half million dollars more expensive than my competitors, they still bought from me mm-hmm. because they, f- they found that what I brought to the table personally was worth it. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found in, um, is product knowledge is key, understanding the need, describing the benefit, and then making sure that, they get imp- that it gets implemented correctly, that the, you know, that the benefits take hold. Absolutely. Uh, and that's another place where sales, the sales service very often breaks down, and that is in the phase of implementation. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a salesperson, if you're implementing something, let's say, uh, on the second and third shifts, as a salesperson, there's very little that you can offer other than buying coffee and pizza for the people who are doing the actual work. Mm-hmm. But I found that it was important for me to be there mm-hmm. in those kinds of situations, that I was there. And not only did the people who were doing the work, customers, as well as our own employees appreciate that. But the customer appreciated, the executives appreciated that I cared enough to make sure that that implementation was going to be successful and that we were indeed going to be able to achieve what we told management we were going to be able to do. Um, we, wow, we don't have a whole lot of time yet. i got to ask you this question. Can a company, I've asked different people this question, I'm at, um, curious as to your response can a company get too big i i would you know you you hear this uh expression too big to fail uh and and i yeah from that standpoint the answer to that question might be yes it can get too big uh and in 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 those kinds of situations sometimes it's better to break the company up either break it up into divisions or actually break it up into separate companies altogether. And I've seen good companies do that, mm-hmm. where they've actually broken themselves up. So, yeah, I think, I think you can get too big. Sometimes uh, the, there's a division that can be so large and contribute so much to the t- overall revenue of the company that it dwarfs another division that is trying to get established. In those instances, it's probably better to to spin off that that division well the 
actually the the value of that company might actually be recognized uh, under recognized in the market um and i guess that's why they do a lot of these spinoffs but even uh and you know in my world some of these banks are i think they're just unmanageable for for a lot of different reasons they're unmanageable from a vision standpoint uh from a leadership standpoint most importantly from uh, the complexity of the financial instruments that they're involved with um um but you know but that's my personal opinion but uh it's really up to the boards and to the and the leadership of that company to make that decision isn't it it is very often you find that uh, very large companies or large banks are really very vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, because they are not doing a good job in providing leadership. They're not communicating their message to their employees, and their employees are not communicating those same messages to their customers. Mm -hmm. And so that really gives small banks an opportunity to take away some of their key accounts. All right. Well, we only have a couple minutes left. I want to give you an opportunity um, Philip, to um, if 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 you for a small business that's listening in, um, what's the number one thing that you could do for them to make them more successful? The number one thing is to do a business assessment. Uh, we're looking to work with businesses that have five or more employees, perhaps several million dollars in sales now, who really want to grow. We're looking to identify those businesses, come in, do a business assessment, find out where their, some of their deficiencies are, whether it's in sales, leadership, management, uh, operations, you know, taxation, bookkeeping, whatever those deficiencies are, and then help them show up those deficiencies. Uh, we also want to be an agent to help them grow. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to work with businesses like that so that they will be able to attract investors, uh, be able to secure bank loans. Uh, those are two key things that you know, businesses need. They need capital, mm -hmm. uh, but, you ha but they have to position themselves uh, you know, in a very positive way to, to get that capital. And then the other category of businesses that we, that we like working with are businesses that have been around for a while. Uh, perhaps the owner uh, is going to retire, wants to move to a vacation home someplace and sell that business. Uh, it usually takes several years in order to get top dollar for your business. And you really have to work with those businesses to get that, to be able to get that top dollar. We are, love to work with businesses like that, love to talk to people like that so that they'll be able to get uh, really good, good, uh, good money for their business. Let me, let me uh, uh, just share with you a story. I was talking to a fellow uh, who was running an, uh, an electrical service, um, and he was proud of the fact that he had several crews of electricians, and he's proud of the fact that he doesn't advertise. But now he's getting older, and he's getting to a point where he wants to sell that business, mm -hmm. and he operates primarily on the basis of word of mouth. It is very difficult to sell a business that, that depends totally on word of mouth hmm. to someone who is coming in new. And so one of his deficiencies is, is that he needs to put in place a marketing advertising program to make sure that his level of sales remains up even after he moves uh, to Florida to his vacation home and sells that business to someone else. Mm -hmm. 
And so those are things that, that, that are not easily fixed but can be repaired, can be done over the course of, you know, 12 to 36 months. Yeah, and I guess um, maybe in a month or so we can talk about the whole marketing, advertising uh, concept. I have some uh, very much of, of opinion that marketing is different than advertising. It and, is. And um, uh, we can talk about how businesses get all that confused. Um, but, um, uh, Philip, one more time, why don't you give everybody your phone number? Okay. Uh, Small Business Samaritans, my phone number is 404-713-0991. And uh, if they've got a pen and paper, hope they're not driving, give them their email address. Email address is saxton at mytown, M-I-T-O-W-N-E dot com. Or you can find me at smallbusinesssamaritans.com. Okay, good. Smallbusinesssamaritans.com. Well, um, 404-713-0991. Yeah. Well, Philip, it's been um, my honor to talk with you today. Um, I love talking with people that have been there and done that and can share a lot of wisdom with us. I think uh, young people today don't necessarily uh, value wisdom. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, wisdom can only come from if you've been there and you've done that and, and uh, you've been re relatively successful. But even people that haven't been successful can give you a lot of wisdom as well. Exactly. So um, um, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. That brings us to conclusion of On the Money. We are uh, talking to Philip Saxton, uh, who owns Small Business Samaritans and uh, CEO and founder there. A lot of good concepts to talk about. We had focused predominantly on leadership and uh, maximizing the point of sale, and we'll do more of this later on. But uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And, uh, of course, um, in, enjoy this uh, weather and uh, be careful out there, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.